Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Rebecca Larson. Whether queen or commoner, the lives of women throughout history is a fascinating study. Elizabeth Woodville, the white queen, managed to make the transition from commoner to queen and became the epitome of medieval heroines, the commoner who married a king. When she became the wife of Edward IV, her actions changed the life of her entire family. Vilified both by their contemporaries and by many historians since, the Woodville family were center stage during the reigns of Edward IV and Richard III. Elizabeth Woodville became the ancestress of future kings and queens. Today's guest book takes a fresh look at the lives of Elizabeth's sisters. Although information on them is scarce, by looking at the men they married, their families, the places they lived, and the events that they lived through— we can catch a glimpse of their lives. Each sister has her own story to tell, and they may not have achieved the dizzying heights that their sister did, but they are all fascinating women. My guest today is the author of The Queen's Sisters, The Lives of the Sisters of Elizabeth Woodville, Sarah J. Hodder. I'm Rebecca Larson, host of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast and owner of TudorsDynasty.com. Telling the stories of those who lived centuries before us is what I enjoy doing most, whether it be a show on one subject or an interview with an author or historian. I'll bring you the tales of 16th century England. Before I get started today, I need to take a minute to thank the following folks who became new patrons since the last episode. Mary D., Kayla G., and Shanna C. Thank you so much for your support. Your support and the support of all of my patrons has meant the world to me. A full list of patrons can be found at TudorsDynastyPodcast.com. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so by going to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudors Dynasty, and then click Become a Patron to see the available options. All right, you've waited long enough. Let's get started. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. For those who may be unfamiliar with Elizabeth Woodville, she was the mother of Elizabeth of York and the grandmother of Henry VIII and his siblings. Now, Elizabeth's marriage to King Edward IV happened in the midst of the Wars of the Roses. For those who may still be unfamiliar with that time, could you explain the reason, Sarah, behind these battles? 
Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Wars of the Roses um, was, you know, the political side of it is so complicated. I could probably, um, even if I understood it all, go on about this for days and days and days. What I would say is the Wars of the Roses, I mean, the, the social side of it is something I'm more interested in. Um, the politics behind the Wars of the Roses are so deep um, that it would literally take days to, to go through it. I think it began, you know, Henry V, um, great Plantagenet king, was, you know, very good warrior king. And then his young son, Henry VI, grew up to be not such a great king. He was very placid. He was, um, you know, he, he wasn't a great ruler. I think probably if he could have chosen to not be king, that, that would have been the decision he made. Um, he had a young son with his wife, Margaret of Anjou. And on the, after the birth of his son, he, um, he went into a kind of stupor. I think the doctors, even today, you know, scientists looking back, don't actually really know what was wrong with him. Um, and so at that time, he was unable to rule the country. His son was too young to rule the country. Uh, his, his queen, Margaret, was a female. Um, she would you know, she fought very strongly to be able to rule in place of her husband until her son was old enough. That was not going to happen because, as I say, she was female. I don't think England was quite ready for a female ruler at that point. Um, and so along comes the Duke of York. Uh, this was Edward IV's father. He um, became protector of the realm. And, you know, from that point onwards, I think the, the noble people of the country, the noble families, took sides um, so was born, it, it was called the Cousins' War at the time. And basically from there, you know, the War of the Roses began. That's my understanding of it. As I say, I'm, I'm more interested in the social side. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly, if I remember correctly, Edward III had many sons. And so when Henry the Sixth, it gets so confusing sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> when Henry the Sixth started having his catatonic states or whatever they called it, uh, everybody was looking at, we need a more stable ruler. And like you said, the Duke of York was, you know, the descendant of one of Edward III's sons and saw himself as maybe the man who could be the next king. And through all of the battles, he ends up dying or being beheaded. Um, yeah. his, his son, Edmund, ends up dying, and then it leaves his son, Edward, who I believe at the at that time was the Earl of March. Yes. Eventually, he becomes Edward IV of England. Yes. Yes. Because, because of the kingmaker. Now, I know for the people who are only familiar with the Tudors, this might be a little bit confusing. So um, the best way maybe for me to describe it is through Philippa Gregory's <laughs> books and, <laughs> and series. If, if you ever watch that, you'll recognize the kingmaker as the man who was behind Edward IV. And they had a falling out when Edward um, didn't want to marry the wife of the kingmaker's choosing, and instead decided to marry a commoner. And that kind of started a whole nother issue, did it not? It did. I mean, the, the Neville family were one of the sort of great noble families of the land. Um, and Richard's father, uh, so uh, Richard Neville was the kingmaker. Um, his, father, um, his father was the brother of um, the Duke of York's wife. So they, they, they were related as well. Um, and I think uh, Richard Neville, the kingmaker, was um, had a huge influence um, over the York family during that time. 
Um, and, you know, he yes, he was known as the Kingmaker. He lived at Warwick Castle, which actually I'd been to Warwick Castle on several occasions and heard of the Kingmaker and had no clue which king he'd ever made <laughs> until I became interested in this period of time. Um, and yes, they he really helped Edward um, gain the throne after the death of the Duke of York. Um, and yes, it was, I, some would say that the marriage of Edward to Elizabeth was the catalyst for their bad relations, which um, sp eventually spiralled out of control and led them to face each other in battle. Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville are one of my favorite couples in history. And Elizabeth Woodville's mark on history has intrigued people for centuries. So what is it about her story that you think attracts people to her? I think because um, she is a, she was one of the commoners. Um, you know, she was a normal woman. Um, she would never have been destined to marry a king. Um, you know, marriages in those days, uh, they were arranged for you by your family, but um, her destiny would never have been to marry a king. Um, and I think... I think that's what's interesting, this kind of rags to riches story. And, and I mean, by no means were the Woodville family in rags. You know, they, her mother, um, Jaquetta, Duchess of Bedford, um, had come from a, a noble family, but they, they certainly were not royalty status. Um, and then I think you have the whole uh, story, which some say is fantasy, um, but for, for want of any other story, it's the one I go with, where we have Elizabeth Woodville and her two sons after the death of her first husband, John Gray. Um, we have her pleading to Edward um, for help in gaining her inheritance for her sons, and we have her standing under an oak tree waiting for the king to come by. To say many people believe this isn't a true story, but as I say, for one, we will never ever really know how they met. So for me, I like to think that this is very probably what happened. Um, and then, of course, they meet and, you know, a few months later, they've, they've fallen in love and she's been declared queen at, at the Council of Reading, um, much to the shock of the whole nation, I, I would imagine. You had mentioned her parents, Richard Woodville and Jaquetta of Luxembourg. They had a lot of tr children. Do you know how many they actually had in total? Um, I have them all listed down. I think it was about 12, I think we have. Um, I was interested more in the sisters um, because the brothers are always um, getting a mention. But let me just count. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight... 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, so 16 that I could trace. Wow. Um, and then certainly you have, I mean, the, the stillborns and the miscarriages would, you know, barely have been given a mention. So, yeah, she could have had 17, 18 children possibly, um, which in today's standards is a huge amount. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So do you have any idea as the children of Richard and Jaquetta, what kind of upbringing they would have had? Um, they would have had, um, I mean, the, their mother was always travelling. Earl Rivers, under the government of Henry VI, was a very important man. I mean, you know, not regally important, but he was a soldier. He went off to France, um, served under the Duke of Bedford. Um, so I think the Woodfield children would have been brought up used to having uh, their mother and father not around. But, you know, they, they would have travelled occasionally with them. Households were quite peripatetic in those days. So it may be that when they were staying in Calais or when they were staying in Southampton, um, some of the older children may have got to go along with them at the time. But, yeah, it's it certainly when Elizabeth married, their lives would have changed dramatically from what they what they were used to. 
And one of the things that you had just mentioned was that in history, women were often overlooked. And I feel like there are so many of us now who want to tell their stories. What made you decide to tell the stories of Elizabeth Woodville's sisters? Um, well, it started, um, actually, I'd, I'd read so much on Elizabeth Woodville, loved her story. Um, and I had, I mean, it, it's a very... It's a very strange story in that one day I happened to be reading a book of another um, English author who I won't mention because I don't, you know, she's not endorsing this book per se. But I wrote to her just one evening and said, oh, my goodness, I love your books. Um, congratulations on all you do. Um, I wish I could do something like that. And she fired back, well, why don't you? You know, why don't you write a book? Um, and I'd, at that point, I'd never even thought of it. So uh, it was like, OK, yeah, maybe I could do that. So my subject of choice would have been Catherine Woodville. And having thought about that, I didn't think there was enough um, of a story for Catherine Woodville to warrant a whole book to herself, um, which made me think about the other sisters. Um, how about I write a book where I consider all of them together, which is obviously what I've done in the end of the day. So what I decided to do was I would start with the one which was the most shadowy, which is to me, it's Jaquetta Woodville. Um, not the mother, but Elizabeth had a sister called Jaquetta as well. Uh, all I really knew about her was her name. Um, and, th and so I set myself a challenge that if I was going to do this book, I would start with the one who I knew nothing about, because if I couldn't write a chapter on her, then I had no chance of, of putting a book together. Um, and that's what I did. I, you know, I started with her. I discovered um, one of the first things I discovered about Jaquetta Woodville was that she hadn't been... Um, married along with the others. Um, there's always this thing that once Elizabeth had married um, Edward, all of the sisters were married off to to noblemen, which which is true. But this isn't true in Jaquetta's case. Um, she was actually married in 1450, which was long before Elizabeth had even met Edward, and that sort of piqued my interest. You know, there's a story here that's it's the sisters are always clubbed together in, in whenever you read about them in other books, it's always her sisters, her sisters. Um, they were never given their own identity. So having discovered this about Jaquetta, I sort of researched and researched and I, I got my first chapter on her. And once I'd done that, I, I was fired up and ready to go find out about the others. One of the things I found interesting in your book was that um, Jaquetta's husband, when she married him, she became... Lady Strange. Yeah. Um, and his name was John. Yeah. And his mother was a sister to Eleanor Cobham. Yes. Can you explain to people who may not be familiar with Eleanor? She's a pretty well-known name in English history. But for those who aren't familiar, can you explain to them who she was and why this was a big deal? Yeah. So um, Eleanor Cobham was, um, she started off as the mistress of Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester. Um, Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester was one of the uncles of Henry VI. Um, so he was quite an important man. He'd been one of the um, protectors. So he, was the, he was the guy who ruled England when um, Henry was too young to do so himself. John, Duke of Bedford, who was Henry's other uncle, was, was the, the person that um, Elizabeth Woodfield's mother, Jaquetta, married in France. It gets all very complicated with people having the same names <laughs> and whatnot. Um, Eleanor Cobham was the mistress of Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester. And then what happened was she was famously arrested on charges of witchcraft, um, saying that she'd commissioned a horoscope to predict that Henry VIII would uh, suffer ill health and potentially die. 
Um, witchcraft was, you know, it was this kind of weapon that was used against women back then. Um, once it was very hard to, to prove. Otherwise, if you were declared a witch, it was very hard to prove. She had, by this time, um, she had married Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, so she was no longer his mistress. She had married him. And because of the slander of, of a witchcraft um, accusation, the woman he loved so much, um, allegedly, for him to divorce his wife and, and marry her, um, he sort of stepped back in and, and let the accusation be brought against her, did nothing to defend her. Um, she was sentenced without trial, and, he, and she was basically spent the rest of her life incarcerated. And as I say, witchcraft in, in those days, it was a weapon you could use. It didn't matter whether it was true or not. A lot of women had that thrown at them. It was very hard to defend. Um, and they found themselves in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, it was it was not something you wanted to happen to you, let's say. And Elizabeth Woodville's mother, Jacqueta Luxembourg, was also tried for witchcraft, right? She was. Um, thankfully, by that point, she had a king as a son-in-law. Um, the accusation was thrown at her when um, Edward was uh, in his in his battles with uh, Richard Neville. Um, the accusation was thrown at her. Edward was being held captive in Warwick Castle at the time, so he could at that point do nothing to defend her. Um, but she stood her ground. She argued her point, um, and when Edward took the throne back again, um, when he'd been the Duke of um, Warwick, Earl of Warwick had released him and he'd got back to London. He, even with Edward being the king, she still had to stand trial. But I think basically Edward had briefed the, the jurors that she was to not be convicted. So she thankfully managed to come out of the other side of a witchcraft accusation, which not many women in those days managed to do. It's amazing. Thankfully, she did. Yes. Witchcraft in those times was it was just you know it was a heinous thing to be um accused of and i i i think there's a whole book there it's, it's something i would quite like to study because women just found themselves at the end of this accusation and really had no defense that they could offer at all it was almost a certain death it was it was i mean i think the odd the odd one maybe got lucky and and had uh, someone in high places who could who could help them out. But how do you defend the fact that you're not a witch? You know, you were just, if, you, if your neighbor's cat died and someone says that's your fault, how do you prove it isn't? <laughs> when, when they don't, they're not claiming that you climbed over the fence and, and killed the cat with a knife. They're claiming you used a spell or an enchantment. Um, how do you defend that? You know, it was, it was an awful time for women, I think, if, if they were accused of being a witch. Now, Lady Strange, was there anything that she's known for that we may recognize no i mean i think she was um she was really was one of the shadowy ones um i managed i think to tell her story by just again i suppose this is what i managed to do with all of the sisters is i had to tell their stories by looking at the places they lived and by looking at the husbands they married i mean sadly it was finding out about the husbands and their families that, that enabled me to put together a story of, of the women's lives. With Jaquetta Lady Strange, we don't even really know when she died. Um, there is a, a brass plaque to her at Hillingdon Church in Middlesex, um, which was erected by her daughter, Joan Strange. Um, but it's not believed that that's her final resting place. So with Jacquetta, she, she, I suppose, by the time Elizabeth Woodville had married Edward, Jacquetta was already 
grown up, had married, had moved away. Um, I believe she lived at Column in Middlesex. Um, and I'm only piecing that information together because that was where her husband died. And I assume that, you know, the fact that he died there, they had been living there. But with her, we don't know when she died. We know her husband took a second wife, so she has to have died before him. Um, there's certain other clues within the chapters, certain trails that I've followed as to when I think it may have been. And she seems to have just had the one child. Again, any miscarriages or stillbirths would never have been um, noted down. But her one daughter, Joan Lestrange, did happen to marry one of the um, Stanleys. Of course, the, the famous Stanley brothers, um, she married George Stanley, who was the son of Margaret Beaufort's husband. Um, and the Stanleys are obviously the, the famous for their um, ability to never actually choose a side that they were on until the very last minute. As you know, it's well known on the Battle of Bosworth that they sort of hung back till they worked out whether Richard III or, or Henry VII was going to be a victor before picking sides. So, yeah, that's really all we can find out about Chiquetta. And then in the next chapter, you move on to Anne Woodville. What can you tell us about Anne? So Anne, um, the thing I knew about Anne was that she had, she was, seems to be the only one um, who stayed at court and served her sister. She was one of her sister's ladies-in-waiting. She married uh, a gentleman called William Bouchier, um, who he was the son um, of a Bourchier. Uh, his father was very active at court, so I believe William was probably one of the minor um, court um, attendees. Um, they both lived at court for a while. He died uh, when he was quite young, so she did go on to marry into the Grey family. Um, she actually married the younger brother of Jane's husband, um, and they had one son together. She'd had um, a couple of children with her first husband, um, and again, she'd, her life, uh, I think, was probably spent, she was probably the closest to her sister, let's say, because she spent an awful lot of time at court with her sister. And I think, therefore, was probably most affected by what happened at court, by, um, you know, all of the, certainly the early years when Edward was unsure on his throne, between sort of 61 up until 69, um, 70. She would have been there for, well, obviously from when they were married, so from 64, 65. Uh, yeah, so I think she was closest to Elizabeth. I think she experienced a lot of what Elizabeth did, um, whereas the other sisters managed to marry and perhaps move away. So they were perhaps a slight distance away from the, the action at court. One of the things I found interesting from your book was that her husband's mother was the elder sister of Richard, Duke of York. Who, Anne, Anne Woodville? Yes. Yes. Now, now if we think, of, look at a family tree, it really makes it so confusing, doesn't it? I know, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, William's mother was Isabel of Cambridge, so she was the elder sister um, of Richard Plantagenet. Um, I think that it gets so confusing um, back then because of course all families intermarried um, people were known by different names for instance Jane Woodville um, was often known as Joan Woodville so I don't think names ever remained the same um, in, in different books in different documents even sort of primary sources their names change um, and yes the, the names were all very familiar they all married in between you know intermarried um, so yeah, sometimes it gets you, you start to write down family trees and it gets very complicated. 
I'm starting to think I'm going to have to draw a family tree for this discussion so everybody can follow <laughs> along a little bit. <laughs> I think, I mean, somebody, yeah, somebody had, um, I had written a review of the book um, and they have quite rightly said that to follow um, the Wars of the Roses, you have to, there's so many different people, there's so many different characters, some with the same names, even like exactly the same names, first names and surnames. You have to, when I was writing the book, I really had to sit down and write lists of who was related to who, who married who. Um, it's really quite interesting when you see it on paper. Um, you know, if we follow the trees down and how the families join together. And um, I think that's one of the things I found exciting about the all of the sisters together as a collective. They and their respective husbands would have often, I think, found themselves on on different sides of an argument. Um, for instance, Catherine Woodville being married to Harry, Duke of Buckingham. Um, that you know, that there's rumours, and I like to say rumours because you can never really know what goes on a marriage nowadays, let alone all those hundreds of years ago. But it was rumoured that they didn't have a happy marriage. But they had several children together. Um, so I think perhaps between them, they found some kind of respect, some kind of way of living together. And then, of course, Harry Duke of Buckingham um, famously took um, Richard III's side just after the death of Edward IV, um, when Edward V, when their son should have been um, taking the throne and Richard III comes along and uh, we, know, we all know the story of what happened there. So you have Harry Duke of Buckingham who's siding with Richard III um, who's the princes um, have disappeared into the tower at this point. I think within a marriage, Catherine and Harry, you know, immediately Catherine's going to be feeling for her sister, feeling for her nephews. Um, Harry is um, siding with their enemy, I suppose, at that point. Yeah, and I find, again, with um, Margaret, the, another sister, her husband, who was a Maltravers, Thomas Maltravers, he, again, like the Stanley brothers, managed to um, associate himself with whoever was in power. So he, you know, they, they probably had quite a nice ride through life. They weren't going to stand up and be counted and say, I don't agree with whoever was on the throne at that point. But uh, again, some of that, um, those were people that Elizabeth Woodville had as enemies. So there must have been a lot of intermarital arguments um, debates, whether you stick with your husband, whether you side with your sister. Uh, I find all of that really fascinating, you know, human behaviour and human thoughts and emotions as to being torn between family. Um, and I think a lot of that went on in the Wars of the Roses. I've always been fascinated with Catherine Woodville being the Duchess of Buckingham. And of course, the fact that her husband ended up getting, you know, executed in, I think it was 1483. And there always seems to be so much commonality in these peerages, because later the third duke is executed as well. Yeah, I think, um, yes. I mean, Harry Buckingham, I think, was primarily um, motivated by money and um, titles. And I think he felt he had more of a claim to the throne. I think Edward IV probably sidelined him a little bit because he did have a claim to the throne. Um, he seems to have learnt to live with that. 
but yeah, I think his um, his so it would have been his grandson who was executed by Henry VIII. I think he was more of a cocky um, type of character, and I think he around Henry VIII. I don't think you need to flout too much that you think you should perhaps have more of a right to the throne than Henry himself did. So I think he probably walked into um, his own execution without really thinking about how he was acting and what he was saying. A classic mistake. Same thing the Earl of Surrey did later on. You know, like you need yeah, to learn to keep it to yourself. <laughs> exactly. Some of these young bucks at court. I think you know you have the Stanleys and you have the Maltravers, as say Margaret's husband, who you know you just want to live a quiet life. You just want to survive. Whoever is on the throne of England, you you bow to them and you, and you respect them. And then you have the some of the youngsters, I suppose, some of the young bucks at court who. Um, feel they want to stand up and, and take on the fight. You know, it's it's they're defending their family, they're defending their lineage. Um, and yeah, I, with someone like Henry VIII, you certainly don't take him on. I, I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> of course, why would you do that? That was a suicide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we come to Mary Woodville, who became the Countess of Pembroke. And for yeah. Tudor fans, you probably recognize Pembroke from Catherine Parr's sister, who married um, the Earl of Pembroke. What can you tell us about Mary Woodville's life and maybe her husband as well? Okay, so yeah, Mary um, married William. So he was the Earl of Pembroke's son. Um, the Earl of Pembroke was um, quite an important man in Wales. I think um, when the Yorkists were establishing themselves on the throne, um, he kept law and order in Wales. He was a very powerful magnet. Um, William, his son, I think um, you could probably describe him as someone who was more of an academic. He's, he doesn't seem to have been interested in um, soldiering as his father was. Um, Mary married him when she was 15 and uh, the family home was Raglan Castle in Wales. So um, as with any of the sisters, you know, I, I quite openly say I'm telling a story from facts I can piece together. So I'm assuming that when she married him, she would have gone straight to Raglan Castle um, to live with his family. Um, interestingly, in Raglan Castle at the time was a young Henry Tudor, um, who, again, complicated um, politics and everything, but had found himself a ward of um, the Earl of Pembroke and he was living there. So Mary would have actually come to know Henry Tudor for a few years. They would have both been teenagers um, she would never have even dreamt, I suppose, that he would one day end up as King of England. So, um, But I find that interesting that they would have known each other as teenagers. Um, and Mary, quite happily, I assume, settled into Raglan. Um, they had a daughter, Elizabeth, who, um, when Mary died, because she died in 1481, um, William, after her death, never really uh, had much association with the court. I think it was through her that his importance was um, achieved. So after her death, he lived a, a slightly quiet life. He, he did marry Catherine Plantagenet after Mary had died, which is um, Richard III's bastard daughter. So I think perhaps that marriage was arranged because William, um, sorry, Richard III still wanted to keep her an ally in Wales, someone who would um, remain on his side. Um, but he himself, Mary's husband himself, died in 1490 and their daughter was still quite young, so she became a ward of court. But Raglan Castle, it's its one of the places I've never been. I've been, I'm lucky enough where I live. I live in 
the shires in England. So I'm lucky enough to have visited quite a few of these places that the sisters lived at. Um, but Raglan is somewhere I've never been, but I believe it's beautiful. And of course, Mary and her husband were are buried at um, the beautiful remains it is now. But um, at the time, it would have been an amazing monastery of Tintin Abbey. Do we know what year Mary died? Uh, Mary died, I believe, around 1481. Um, her her memorial in, um, because the, when the dissolution of the monasteries occurred, um, courtesy of Thomas Cromwell and a little bit Henry VIII, I suppose, but more Thomas Cromwell at the time, um, Tintin was practically destroyed. So um, her memorial is no longer there. We We know or as far as anyone can know, that they're buried there. Um, but from what I've been able to ascertain, it was around 1481. Wow. One of the things that um, piqued my interest a little bit when I was reading that chapter, if we go back in, in her time a little bit, was that I read that she was married at Windsor Castle in 1466, and it reminded me of what a historic place that is. And today we know it as the place where the Queen lives, right? Right, exactly. And actually, um, it's a place that's been around for centuries. Um, I have been lucky enough to walk past it on several occasions on trips to Windsor. Um, so much history within its walls. Um, it's one place, again, Raglan Castle, I've never been anywhere near, but Windsor Castle, I have been around the outside. But it's it's on my to-do list of places to go in and visit because I, I imagine you can feel the history as you walk through its door. The history that surrounds you is amazing. And do you know how lucky you are to be surrounded by all this amazing history? <laughs> I do. I do. And I mean, one of my most favorite places is Sudley Castle. Um, oh. which is where, if you, you've heard of Sudley, it's, I've been there. Oh, goodness knows how many times I've dragged my family there. And it's one of the places that Catherine Woodville um, would have lived when she was married to Jasper Tudor. Um, after obviously Harry Buckingham had been executed um, there and Minster Lovell, which is another one of my favourite places. Minster Lovell is now just in ruins, but both of them are not so far from where I live. Um, and I could just spend hours standing there, just as I say, the history sort of seeps into you. I heard this this saying once, which is so true, is that when you visit these kind of places, you're only separated from these people by time, not by distance. Um, and I think that's, you know, as much as it's poetic, it's it's very true. You can literally stand there and think, oh, my goodness, these people stood here before me. Um, and it's only time that, that is separating us at that point. Sudley Castle is one of the places that's top of my list because I have an obsession with Thomas Seymour. You do. I've, I've I do. seen. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to walk where he has walked, where Catherine Parr has walked. I want to be able to experience it. Like you said, the place, it, there's so many memories there. There's so much history there that I can't wait for the day that I can walk up and just touch the stone wall. You have to go. I mean, it, there is um, a door when, when you go, because Catherine Parr is obviously buried there. Um, and there is, when you step out of one of the doors, it, it literally says, this is Catherine Parr's walkway to the church. And you can see how the path sort of meanders um, through the garden, through the bushes and how she would have walked to the door and probably done that, what, a couple of times a day. I mean, you know, these people back then were sort of very religious um, and just to walk the same walk. Um, it's it's quite, you know, it kind of makes your hair stand on end and you get the shivers a little bit to think, my goodness, she actually walked. I mean, Catherine Parr is one of my favourite 
um, of, of Henry VIII's queens. I think her and Anne Boleyn are probably in my top two. But to walk the way she walked, it, it does make you feel like she's literally right there beside you. And then even more exciting, I guess, with Sudley is the fact that she is actually buried there. Um, you know, a lot of queens are and kings are buried um, at Westminster or Windsor or Peterborough with Catherine of Aragon. Um, but yeah, she she is at Sudley Castle. So you must, you know, with being a Thomas Seymour fan, you must definitely come and see that. Well, let's continue on um, with the characters of your book. You had mentioned a little bit earlier, Margaret Woodville being Lady Maltravers. Can you tell us a little bit about her life? Yeah, so she um, was married in February 1465. Again, all of this is, we believe, um, because, as you know, the reason I've written this book is because their lives are so shadowy. Um, I've literally kind of tried to piece together as much information as I can about them. So February 1465 is the date that's kind of touted as when she was married. And she went to live at Arundel Castle in um, West Sussex. At the time, she would have been under the care, because she was only 10, um, she would have been under the care of her father-in-law. Um, and, you know, I, I guess she would have had, for a few years, she would have just lived growing up as a child there. I mean, you know, you didn't tend to kind of consummate a marriage until you were slightly older than 10. Um so she would have grown up in Arundel Castle. Again, um, that's on my bucket list to to visit, but it's a castle that is still in existence today that you can still go and visit today. And the thing I'm interested most about Margaret is that a lot of these, as we know, all of these marriages um, were arranged by their parents. But if I had to pick any of the sisters who I think would have had a happy marriage, I think it would have been Margaret. Um, Thomas, as I've said in the book, is described as being a lovely man, a devoted husband. Um, and as I say, these, this is all assumptions. We, we can never know how people felt about each other, how they got along behind closed doors. But I think out of all of the sisters, um, when she died, he um, didn't remarry, which is, you know, a lot of men immediately remarried within sort of quite quick succession of their wives dying. He lived for another 30 years or so before his death. Um, and I like to think that perhaps that was because he was devoted to her and, and didn't feel like anyone could replace her. It's sad and romantic. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, I may have read this completely wrong and he may just have been completely awful and no one else wanted to marry him. <laughs> <laughs> but in my head, you know, as I say, if I had to pick which sister, as I, so they were all arranged marriages. None of them um, got to choose their husbands. And I imagine some of them got on better with their husbands than others. Um, but, yeah, I like to think that perhaps this was a managed. They grew up together from being young children. Um, and I like to think that perhaps this was a real love match eventually. And then we move on to Jane, who you mentioned was also called Joan sometimes. What can you tell us about Jane Woodville? She is um, another one of the shadowy sisters. Um, her first husband was Anthony Gray. So he was of the Gray family of Ruthen. Um, married in about 1466, she would have been about 11. Anthony Gray's birthday isn't recorded, but uh, when you look at the uh, George Gray, who was his younger brother, was born around 1455. So I think they were probably of a similar age. Um, they would have lived in Bedfordshire. So there's um, Rest Park in Bedfordshire was a Gray family seat, um, along with Ampthill, which um, they came into their possession um, during the time of Jane's marriage. So 
she really uh, it doesn't seem to have been in attendance at court much from what I could see. So I think perhaps she and Anthony led a fairly quiet life. There is a, a, a kind of assumption that she had no children, um, that between them they had no children. But um, I managed to find, well, I didn't manage to find it, it's therefore to see that actually when the Princess Mary died, the Yorkist Princess Mary, um, Jane Woodville attended her funeral and was the chief mourner. And also in the records is a reference to an unknown lady called Catherine Gray. She also, this Catherine Gray, seems to have attended the funeral of Elizabeth Woodville in 1492. And uh, it's very possible that this lady, Catherine Gray, was Jane's daughter. It's also very possible she wasn't. However, she would have been a similar age to Princess Mary. And I, I believe perhaps, you know, they did have a child. Anthony, her husband, died quite young. And I think Jane, I think perhaps maybe she was living a slightly quieter life and it and it wasn't, she wasn't considered important enough to find a new husband for her. So she was given a few estates after Anthony's death. It's very possible that she just retired as a widow onto these estates. But there's also a rumour of a second marriage for her um, to a gentleman called Edward Wingfield, who was the brother of um, Richard Wingfield. Richard Wingfield ended up being um, Catherine Woodville's third husband. And I think Catherine Woodville chose him as a husband as opposed to her first two, which were very definitely chosen for her. But once uh, we have details that maybe Jane did marry Edward, but then again, they both fall off the radar. Um, we have no idea when she died. We can, I can link Edward Wingfield to Jane's brother, Edward Woodville. They seem to have served together in Granada. So there's a connection there that perhaps Jane did know him and possibly even married him. But, yeah, as I say, she, she is one of the more shadowy sisters. And I just think perhaps if she did remain a widow, maybe she just managed to, to potter around and have control of her own finances and have lived a, a life well lived, you know, away from all the um, troubles at court. She was such a shadowy figure that I just quick went on Google and searched her. And of course, the first thing that pops up is Wikipedia. So yeah. I opened it just to see all the the children of Jaquetta. She's not even listed on there. No, as I say, she is sometimes called Joan. Um, yeah, she, uh, you know, I do. I have taken my information, uh, as I said at the beginning of the book, from um, a note that was first brought to my attention by Susan Higginbotham um, in her book on the Woodvilles. And it's a note from Robert Glover, who was the Somerset Herald, um, where he seems to have listed all the children of um, uh, the Rivers family. Uh, she is listed within that note, which is how I know she existed, as opposed to um, Martha, who we could discuss shortly. Um, but, yeah, she, I thought when I said to you at the beginning that I was going to start with Jaquetta, um, sister, not mother, um, because I thought she would be the hardest one to write a chapter on. I actually think I managed to find in the end more out about Jaquetta than I did about Jane. So she really did live in the shadows. Um but to me, you know, maybe then she managed to achieve a kind of a quieter, a nicer way of living than than actually being maybe somebody like Anne, who's thrown thrown right into the court and having to deal with everything that's happening there. Maybe Jane managed to find some a peaceful existence somewhere. We could hope. You could hope exactly. And this is a reminder to everyone that. 
Wikipedia is not always right and you shouldn't always use it as a source. <laughs> no. no, I mean, Wikipedia, I have to say, Wikipedia is always my, often, let's say, my first port of call just to get some facts that may be fact. But then off I go and I will back up every one of those facts or discount them um, as I go along. So, yeah, never rely on Wikipedia. It's It's mm-hmm. often very good, but... Um, you can put on there what you like, really, and people might yeah. believe it, and it's really not true. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the same as you. I use it as a launching pad. Here's exactly. here's where to start, and then let's move from there and find the actual evidence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's take Wikipedia and then see if we can prove it right or wrong. Exactly, <laughs> as we should always do when we're researching, right? Yeah, I mean, with everything, I've, I've, I think everything I've read, I mean, this, this book has been a couple of years in the making because I'm, you know, I, I think I said to you before, I'm... I, I'm not an academic. Um, I'm just a mother who has a real passion for a subject. Um, never thought I would write a book. And I've been anxious that when I do put these facts down on paper that I've literally backed up each and every one of them um, more than once. So if I find something and I find someone else that will corroborate that, I then like to find someone else that will corroborate that. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the fun of writing and researching history is that you spend most of your days as a detective and an explorer just trailing through anything you can find and trying to piece together a story. That's one of the things I enjoy too. I enjoy the research part of it and trying to solve those mysteries. That's the fun part. Definitely. Yeah, for me too. Um, And I mean, with each of these sisters, as I was writing each of their chapters you sort of have to almost immerse yourself in their lives you know I spent many a month being Mary Woodville or many a month being Margaret Woodville just searching and researching and finding the home they lived in and and discovering what that would have been like and um, you know, I would wake up and think about them and I would go to bed and think about them. And then you put once I've, the chapter was done, you jump into the life of the next one. Um, and e- even now, I think that the book is done. The stories are there as, as best as I can tell them. Um, but I don't think I'll ever stop researching them. I think, you know, on a quiet Sunday afternoon, maybe I will just again Google Mary Woodville or Margaret Woodville and, and see if I can take their stories even further. You had mentioned Martha, who wraps up your book. What, yeah. Tell us a little bit about Martha Woodville. So Martha, um, interestingly, isn't mentioned by Robert Glover. She's not in the list that I've used to determine their ages because, um, again, you know, the, the ages and, uh, and the order that the children were born into, um, Richard and Jaquetta, is unknown. So the only thing I had to go on was this note, which seems to me um, to make sense. It it was written, um, he clearly had started with Anthony and Elizabeth, so it seemed to be in some kind of order. So that's what I've used as a basis for when they were were born and how old they would be. Um, Martha is not listed in that at all, although I have heard a Martha Woodville mentioned in a historical fiction, I believe Philippa Gregory, um, in one of her books mentioned a Martha Woodville. So the name has always sort of been out there. But um, as I say, there is some doubt as to whether she was an actual Woodville sister or not. Um, I have uh, done some research into her and she seems to she seems to have been married or had an illicit affair with a John Bromley. 
if, as you say, she existed or maybe she existed and she wasn't a Woodfield sister. Her age, again, absolutely no clue. Um, some things I have found on Martha Woodville say that she was one of the younger sisters. Um, I think I've said in the chapter that for her to be one of the youngest, she would have had to have been born after Catherine Woodville, which means when Elizabeth married Edward, she would have been about five years old. So at that point, she would have trotted off to court, I'm sure, along with Catherine. Um, and her, her alleged husband or the alleged person she had an affair with, John Bromley, was a Lancastrian. Um, so I, I can't really see that she would have been married off to, to a Lancastrian at that time. I think more possible is that she was one of the elder girls, um, which would have put her around the age of Anthony and Elizabeth Woodville. Um, John Bromley, by kind of everything that I've researched, was it seems he was married to a Joanna Hextel, who was still alive in 1470. Um, there is uh, evidence of a kind of court case that the pair took out together um, where they were suing three men for illegal entry onto their land. So if she was still alive, Joanna Hextel, in 1470... Um, Martha could not have been sort of in the same boat as Jaquetta Woodville, where she'd been married off to him ages before. So my scenario, my thinking on this is that if they did have a relationship, perhaps it was an illicit relationship. There seems to have been a Thomas Bromley, who is noted in some documents as being the um, son of John Bromley and Martha Woodville. Um so I, I, as I say, she's literally an enigma. Uh, we know nothing about her, even about the fact that she may have existed. But my, my theory is that perhaps she, Martha was one of the elder Woodville girls. Um, perhaps, as I say, a young Lancastrian knight called John Bromley, because, of course, before um, Edward married Elizabeth, um, her father was a Lancastrian supporter. Um, so perhaps in the early sort of 1460s, a young Lancastrian, John Bromley, turned up at the house. Um, him and Martha began a kind of an illicit relationship. And even at that point had, a, you know, she became pregnant. Um, and I think once Elizabeth and Edward married and the rest of her sisters were being married off to other families, um, she would have been a bit of a, you know, someone that they wouldn't have wanted to have bought um, out. She certainly would not have been attractive to, um, if she was a mother of an illicit child, she would not have been attractive to any families, you know, nobody would have wanted to have taken her on. So she may have been and ended up in a nunnery. Um, it's literally all assumptions. It's, it's just her name that we have to go with. And the fact that there is this Tom, Thomas Bromley, who allegedly was the son of a John Bromley and a Martha Woodville. So, yeah, she, if I had to pick now which of my sisters was the favourite, originally I would have said Catherine because I absolutely love her story. But I think maybe my favourite is Martha because there's so much more that I want to know about her, including whether she even existed in the first place. So I think on my Sunday afternoons, if I'm going to be doing any research, she's the one I will still continue to dig and dig and dig and see what else I can find out about her. I think you're attracted to her because if there's a mystery, there's still more to solve. Exactly. With the others, I mean, they were all a mystery to me to start with, say, other than their names, which is the reason I chose to write the book in the first place. I've read so much stuff on Elizabeth Woodville, on her 
family on Anthony, on Edward, on John, Woodville. Um, and the, the sisters were always, they're always clumped together as a job lot, you know, and her sisters did this and her sisters were married. Um, so when I started the book, each and every one of them was a mystery. Um, I literally knew their names. And now I've, as I continue through each chapter, through each sister's lives, I do feel like I know them a little bit more. Um, we can never really know loads about them because they, they weren't written about, their, their lives weren't recorded. Um, but I've, as I, say, I hope I've done them justice in, in bringing their stories together. But yes, Martha is the one who I desperately, desperately want to know more about. So that in the end makes her the most intriguing and perhaps my favourite sister. Well, for your sake, I hope that one day here in the future, some private owner of a, a manor or something finds an old document that will give you more information. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, we've now reached the part of the show where I ask five questions for you to answer. Okay. The first one is, if I could offer you a time machine and you could safely travel back in time to observe a place in time, when would you choose? Oh, I think i mean i'm i'm ex well i would have to go under the oak tree and find out if elizabeth woodville really did wait there um for a pass in edward the fourth i think it would have to be that i would have to um yeah or perhaps and not knowing exactly what date she did that maybe i would have to go on may the first um and witness their their secret wedding together now, this one might be a little bit more difficult, but you know you know about the reign of Henry VIII, and you gave a little hint earlier. So which of the six wives of Henry VIII is your favorite? Catherine Parr. <laughs> Very definitely Catherine Parr. I love, I love the fact she was a survivor. Um, I love the fact that I, uh, that she, I think did her duty to marry Henry when actually she was madly crazy, deeply in love with Thomas Seymour. Um, the feeling she must have had to pack away during her marriage to Henry VIII, um, you know, married to one man in love with another. Um, and yeah, I would have to say her, but it's a very close lead because Anne Boleyn um, has always, always, Anne Boleyn is, what's, is who started my passion with history. Um, I loved Anne Boleyn's story since I was a child. Um, but Catherine Parr, I think, probably just pips her. What are you currently reading or what was the last thing you read? Um, I'm currently reading this huge, gigantic book, The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel, which I have been waiting, as has the rest of the world, I think, probably, um, for the third um, installment to come out. Um, I can see why it took her so long, because it's absolutely huge. Um, I think I've tweeted about the fact that when I read it, I literally have to lay on my bed and rest it on a cushion because it's way too heavy to hold in your hands. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm, I'm not far into it. But I've been I love the story of Thomas Cromwell um, and the fact that actually Hillary manages to paint him as a as a almost likable character because um, this is my thing with with people in general, but certainly historical figures, is I don't think there's ever a black and a white. I don't think someone was ever bad or someone else was, you know, perfect. I think there's always shades of grey. I think people are human um, and, and, and there's always different sides to their story. So I love Thomas Cromwell being painted as actually quite a likeable guy. <laughs> My next question is a little bit more personal. 
Yeah. What What is something that people might be surprised to learn about you? Oh, that's a very good question. My grandmother was actually a Seymour and I have studied my family history. And although I can make absolutely um, no connection with Jane and Thomas and Edward, um, that's another one of my goals to see if I can actually get my family back um, and related to that great Seymour family all the way back then. I'm going to find a way to make this happen for you. If you could, that would be great, because I've been promising my 10 year old that we're actually related to the Queen. And she's thrilled about this. And I, you know, I think it's like I've said, I think if we go back far enough and then come back down the tree, we could probably reach Queen Jane Seymour at some point. But um, yeah, just the just when you hear these names, you know, the Pars and the Seymours and the Berlins um, and the Woodvilles and the Cromwells and all of the big names from the, the Wars of the Roses and the Tudor period to have that name within your family for me was a because I, I didn't know this my um both my parents have passed away so it was only very recently within like the last 24 months that I discovered I had a Seymour and she was my gran I mean she died before I was born um so this for me was like being given a gold nugget it's like my gosh I know that name let's see what I can find out so if you can make that happen that would be fabulous <laughs> I'm going to do my best. I love doing ge- genealogy. Is It's another mystery, so it's fun to do the research. Yes. Yeah, I have done some here, as, as I've said to you. I can get back to, with the Seymours, I can get back to the late 1600s, but I'm still in Buckinghamshire with them. And I, I think the Seymour family that we know um, didn't have many connections to Buckinghamshire, but I may be wrong. So with your passion for Thomas Seymour, if you can somehow connect him to Buckinghamshire, then dial me up let me know (laughs) I will definitely be in contact with you about this because it sounds like fun yes absolutely Uh, so the last question is the most important question where can people find the queen sisters um in all good bookshops is that the phrase that everybody uses uh you can find the queen sisters amazon um i think you can order it directly from my publishers although I may be wrong so sorry if, if that's not the case um Waterstones WH Smiths um yeah anywhere you buy your books from wonderful Sarah thank you so much for being a guest on the show today oh Rebecca thank you it's been um slightly nerve-wracking as this is the first kind of big thing I've ever done as I say I, I still just feel like a mum who's written a book as opposed to someone um who deserves to have uh, you know a book on the shelves but um, I'm into, I've finished my second book now, so I really have got the bug and I really hope I can present these women, um, you know, in a way that is deserved of them. They deserve to have their story told and you did a wonderful job doing it. And I hope everybody buys your book. Thank you, Rebecca. It's very kind of you. And that concludes this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can find my show notes from this episode and how to become a patron at TutorsDynastyPodcast.com. Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Patreon, Podbean, or anywhere you can find podcasts. Intro and outro music called Folk Round by Kevin McLeod and Competech.com. Creative Commons license via FilmMusic.io. Thanks for checking out the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Read more. Read more on the blog at TudorsDynasty.com. Follow Tudor's Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Tudor's Dynasty on iTunes. 
Thanks for listening. 